Welcome to the podcast, Commonwealth Magazine's weekly podcast about politics and policy and the people who impact both. I'm Commonwealth reporter Jack Sullivan. Nearly 500 days ago, Massachusetts voters said yes to legal marijuana, ignoring the opposition of some of the state's top elected leaders. The main cog in the referendum was the creation of a five-member cannabis control commission to craft regulations for the expected billion-dollar industry. After a pushback of the timeline and reworking of the statute by the legislature, the commission began its work last fall under a tight deadline and has finalized its regulations for growers, manufacturers, and sellers. So does that mean you can buy legal weed come the July 1st target date? With us to answer that question and others are two members of the Cannabis Control Commission, Chairman Stephen Hoffman and Commissioner Shailene Title. Chairman Hoffman comes from a business background, having worked in the investment field with corporate startups. Commissioner Title is the only member of the panel with experience in the legal adult use industry, having worked as a consultant and lawyer to marijuana businesses. Welcome both. Morning. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, let me start with you. You've said consistently you believe that the commission can complete its work and hit the target date of July and target deadlines, uh, but you stop short of saying the smoking lamp will be lit on July 1st. What do you see that gives you pause that could derail it between now and then? I, I think there are two things. Uh, um, we are certainly committed to do everything we can to hit that target date, but there are two things that could get in the way. Uh, one is uh, we are committed to do this right, and if it ever becomes a choice between doing it right and doing it on time, we're going to do it right. The things that we have to do that are within our control are to staff up appropriately so we can do inspections um, and to make sure that we have our technology in place so that we can run a licensing program um, come April 1st and, and approve licenses come June 1st. We're on target for all those things, but those can get in the way. The other thing is that we can grant state licenses, but to operate uh, um, stores and other enterprises need city and town approval. And that's a local issue that we can't control. Um, we're working with them collaboratively. We're helping them understand our regulations. We've got a process that works, I think, very closely with their process. So I'm hopeful that that will happen. But that's, again, one of the things that could get in the way of July 1st. Well, that brings up a good point, Commissioner Title. When there's a lot of cities and towns now that had voted for it um, that are starting to uh, say, no, we don't want it here. Um, it, there's, you know, many towns that voted against it that have uh, used the opportunity to um, um, to ban it or put a moratorium in. It, it seems that there's going to be marijuana deserts around the state. What can you guys do to change that? And does that give you concern? Well, it's entirely up to a city or a town how they want to treat this. I think that uh, the recent decision that the commission made to provide some information for clarity is going to make a big difference. So just allowing cities and towns to see um, what other municipalities have done, what their community host agreements look like, um, you know, what costs might be to a city or town. And really once they open to just go and look at it and see if it looks like what you expected it to be. I think that will go a long way. But in the end, it really is up to that city or town. But where do you expect them to be open? I mean, if, if we have all of these uh, towns that are, be, you know, communities that are beginning to reject it, where are they going to go look at and look and see where there's uh, operating uh, venues? Well, uh, I think there will be some uh, open soon. Um, certainly, uh, 
not every city or town has instituted a ban. So um, we'll see how it looks this summer and, and how it goes from there. Yeah, can I just add something to that? Sure. Uh, which is that, you know, we've been saying all along, I think it's really important uh, that people understand. I think July 1st is the start date, not the end date. So stores hopefully will be open, uh, but the industry is going to take time to evolve. Cities and towns, as uh, Commissioner Tyrell just pointed out, are going to look at our regulations, hopefully get comfortable with them, and some of the moratoriums in place will be, uh, I hope, rescinded. But it's going to take a few years, I believe, before this industry looks uh, mature and where there is pretty widespread availability. So um, while I think that, uh, you know, to use your language, there might be deserts um, on July 1st, um, I hope and expect that if the industry evolves as the way we expect it to over time, it's going to be much more widespread. What, you, let's go through some of the timelines here. What, what are the uh, key dates that we're looking at that um, under the regulations that you just passed? Sure. So we, we approve regulations. They have to be finalized and promulgated uh, by the Secretary of State. And so that uh, has to happen by the 15th of March. And, and you know, there shouldn't be any issue with uh, hitting that deadline since we have approved our final regulations. Uh, next deadline is on April 1st. We start accepting applications. And uh, we're working, as I said a few minutes ago, on making sure we're staffed appropriately and that our technology is in place. And I'm comfortable that we're on target for that. The next deadline after that is June 1st, when and uh, that's the earliest date we can approve any license application. And July 1st um, is the target date for stores opening, although um, I pointed out on many occasions, and I'll reiterate it right now, uh, that's not a legislative mandate. That is an expectation. The other dates, March 15th, April 1st, June 1st, those are legislative mandates. July 1st is just an expectation, but one that we're committed to try to hit. But June 1st, if, if you're issuing licenses on June 1st, mm -hmm. nobody's going to have a six-foot plant ready to uh, cut down and um, and. and uh, process for July 1st. Where's it going to come from? Well, for one thing, um, a lot of the medical uh, use of marijuana dispensaries um, will be converting, um, and so they are uh, already in the process is one thing. The other thing is just as tempting as it is to obsess over the date July 1st, and, and I think we've done a good job at of using that date as a way to keep ourselves on target. Uh, it's really important that we do it right. This is going to unfold slowly, not overnight, on July 1st. I personally do think that there will be uh, some supply available at that time, but I'm taking a bigger picture look at it. Do you think supply will be a big issue come uh, whatever date it is that you're opening? I, I know, for instance, in your regulations, you mandated that uh, medical, uh, dis medical suppliers have to retain 30% of their product. Right. 35 35%. 35%. Yeah. Um, do you think that they've been getting up and ready for this? Have they been eyeing it? Because they can grow. You know, a, a, a retail or a recreational um, um, cultivator cannot grow yet. These guys can grow. Right. Do you think that they've been getting ready? I do, and I think it's pretty safe to say, based on what we've seen in other states, that uh, the supply probably won't be ready on day one and that it'll ramp up. But, you know, in that, and I agree with Commissioner Tuttle on that, and that's why it was so important that we put in this 35% requirement so that given that the supply will not be probably in all likelihood sufficient, we're ensuring that there will be no shortage of supply for medical patients. Well, one of the things, it, it, Commissioner Tuttle, you've been uh, probably the most vocal member of the panel talking about uh, equity for disadvantaged communities and uh, potential investors. And you've been arguing for preferences uh, for equity uh, partners, um, for 
people of color who have been uh, most impacted by the war on drugs in those communities. There was a lot of discussion um, during the uh, formation of the regulations of um, uh, freestanding delivery services, um, services that wouldn't be tied to a uh, brick-and-mortar building, um, as well as social consumption uh, cafes. Those would be the kind of uh, businesses that somebody could start up without a lot of uh, cash. They wouldn't have to create inventory. They wouldn't have the rents, things like that. But it was put off. A lot of um, a lot of opponents had talked about the commission trying to do too much too soon. And then you guys voted to put this off. You're not going to discuss it until at least the end of October, and the earliest anything will happen is in February. Was that in response to the the type of pressure that you were getting from uh, politicians? Well, I think that when we look at this opportunity that we have to start an industry from scratch, that is so rare. And that is why my focus has been on creating opportunities for small businesses and under the mandate of the law, making sure that disproportionately affected communities have a chance. And so... Every step of the way, I've been looking for ways to make that uh, opportunity. And so um, when we looked at thinking about a delay for those two types of licenses, it's something that we discussed as a commission, as with every other decision, and took all of the input into account, um, whether it comes from the administrative agencies or the governor or citizens. And when we made that decision to delay, I thought that was actually also a very good opportunity to allow small businesses to have um, a fair shot, especially because, as you noted, uh, delivery-only licenses in particular and perhaps social consumption, they may have lower barriers to entry. So I thought it was a way for um, us to make a good decision that that took a lot of different needs into account. And I would add, too, that... uh, Rushing this um, and forcing us to make decisions on social consumption and delivery before everybody was ready and perhaps, um, I don't know, watering those licenses down, I didn't think that was a good idea. I think it makes more sense to wait and do it right because this is something that's been decades in the making. And so one year is not that big of a difference. Mr. Chairman, you you also um, expressed support for uh, some of the proposals that uh, Commissioner Title made regarding um, the uh, social consumption uh, and the delivery services, putting them off, but also giving the uh, preferences to uh, those communities. Do you think instituting the regulations the way they are excludes those communities at this point? Do you think that there's, there's going to be people in those disadvantaged communities that are going to be able to get uh, entry into the uh, industry at the beginning? Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, you know, there are lots of different licenses available, including cultivation and, and, and retail. And, and while I agree with Commissioner Title that uh, the ones that we deferred tend to have lower capital requirements, therefore lower barriers to entry. Um, just anecdotally, um, I know a lot of people that are going to apply for licenses on day one from those communities. And uh, hopefully, you know, they're going to have applications that show that they've got the necessary capability and and resources uh, to get a license. And so my expectation is that even though we've deferred some specific categories of licenses, there will be participation from those communities from day one. But as uh, we've been saying all along, it's going to take a while for this industry to evolve. And so for full participation, which is, I think, the language of the law, full participation for those communities will probably take a while until we revisit this in October, as you pointed out. 
One of the uh, things, the Boston Globe uh, on Friday had a story about uh, energy consumption, and, and there's been a lot of talk. I, re- I remember when I first started looking into this that um, in Colorado they said that their uh, energy uh, consumption increased exponentially mm-hmm. with uh, the creation of the industry. Right. You folks passed, um, p- as part of your regulations, um, some very stringent regulations uh, mm-hmm. having to do with energy consumption. Where did those come from? Was that a um, something that um, came through the comment section? Is it something that you found from uh, research, or were they suggestions from the uh, Department of Energy? Um, I'd say all of the above. I mean, we're certainly aware of the issues that have occurred in other states in terms of the uh, spike in energy consumption, particularly with respect to indoor cultivation. Um, we had public comments uh, from you know various sources uh, about that and concerned about that. Uh, but we also um, relied on our fellow sister uh, agency, um, EEA. Um, we spoke with them. You know, it's uh, in, in the article on uh, on Friday. There was uh, some assertion that you know we moved quickly on this. Um, well, we move quickly on everything, but 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 we have given everything, I think, careful consideration. And prior to having the discussion in public on this, I think it was this past Tuesday, we met with EEA, we talked with them, we got um, some, we raised some questions they responded to. So um, while the vote was quick, um, the process and the uh, and the deliberation, I think, was quite thoughtful. Um, and, you know, uh, we're trying to do the right thing here. We know we're not going to make everybody happy. But we also know that as this industry evolves, we're going to learn and, and we'll make adjustments as necessary. But we're very comfortable with the starting point. And we're certainly comfortable with the objective uh, to make this a green industry, to make it energy efficient. Commissioner Title, you you have some experience with uh, the industry, or at least you know dealing with people that have been in the industry. Is this a big issue? Is it is it going to impact the uh, quality and the quantity of uh, of what can be grown indoors? It's a very important issue, and I think we treated it as such. I think the most important thing here is that there was not much reliable data available on what um, businesses are using and what equipment is available. And so the first thing that we did was make sure that we are going to have that data collected in Massachusetts and that we're going to use it going forward. But in terms of the decision that we made, and I can just speak for myself personally here, um, Massachusetts is a leader in environmental efficiency. And I think if you look at other states, one of the most important roles that we have is to try and see their experience and to improve on it. And so for me, when I voted yes on those standards, I was thinking about how it's been a general point of concern to say, yes, the environmental efficiency is a concern here, but then just going forward and doing more of the same in terms of giant indoor growers, um, I don't think that is the right thing. So uh, we we talked about this for hours. We considered it. We talked to many different stakeholders. We talked to environmental advocacy organizations. And I think we made a good choice. I think we're striving to be a national leader. And I think there is a huge opportunity for innovation here in terms of the way that plants are grown and uh, the efficiency in equipment. Uh, let me let me get back uh, to the communities again. Uh, something that I wanted to ask a, a few minutes ago. When you have such sparse availability, especially at the beginning, one of the one of the main arguments for legalized, you know, for in favor of the referendum, was to eliminate the illicit market. Right. When you have such a wide um, 
swath of uh, areas that don't have access to it, you're going to do one of two things. You're, you're either going to put people on the road for, you know, 50, 100, 150 miles to go buy legal marijuana, or you're going to, um, you're going to keep the illicit market in business. How do you overcome that? What are the concerns there? Well, first of all, I, you know, I think we're going to have to see how many stores are actually open uh, on July 1st and, and whether the 100-mile distances you just referred to are in, in reality. I'm, I'm hoping that it's not, not going to be quite that uh, quite that disparate. Um, but, you know, it's the same comment we've been making all along, which is this market will evolve, and over time uh, all the concerns that you raised um, will be addressed just by the natural evolution of the market. We are absolutely committed. It's, it's certainly one of the major goals of legislation to eliminate the illicit market. Um, anybody that thinks it's going to disappear on July 1st, you know, I, uh, I'd have to disagree with that. But uh, but it is going to, if not disappear, certainly be minimized. And, and part of the logic we used in, in structuring our regulations was to make it enticing and easy for illicit participants in this market to become legal. Um, we tried to make the entry barriers as low as possible in terms of license fees and application fees, uh, in terms of allowing for waivers on certain regulations so that smaller businesses could participate. So we've done, I think, a really good job of trying to make this an attractive market for illicit uh, players to enter. Um, it's not going to happen day one, but it's certainly a very explicit goal of our um, regulations, and I, and I feel like we've uh, done a pretty good job of addressing that. Can, can to that, that uh, it's very clear that throughout Prohibition and still now, there is a large, established, thriving underground market. And I think that we, in trying to minimize that, just have to make decisions without closing our eyes and ears to that fact. And as Chairman Hoffman said, uh, trying to create pathways from the underground market to the legal one so that it's more safe and more regulated. But but in creating those pathways, is, is it are they skills and experiences that can translate into a legal market? I mean, just because somebody's selling baggies of a half ounce of pot, um, you know, out of the back of their car, does that mean that they can create a retail store to be able to sell? Absolutely, there are skills that are transferable there, and knowledge of the plant and the way that it's consumed is an extremely attractive skill, I think. And so that's one of the reasons that we created a technical assistance fund and an equity program to help add to those skills, how do you run a business, how do you be compliant, how do you do accounting, how do you do an application. That's something that we thought about and have given careful consideration to. I, I gather that a lot of that came from you, from your experience with startups. and. Well, I, I, I don't know that I want to take first cry. I think that, that it's been a pretty interesting uh, process for the last six months, which is I, I don't think any of us can put our name on anything and say, I did it. I think all five of us contributed pretty much to everything, and I think that the entire legislation in terms of the construction of the commission was set up to ensure that it was diverse in terms of backgrounds and experience and capabilities. And I think that's reflected pretty much in all of our regulations. So certainly I have been a participant in, in articulating what these technical assistance programs should cover in terms of curriculum. But we've all contributed to that, and, and you know, I, as I said, I don't see my name next to any regulation, nor do I see in commission tiles. I see all five of our names next to pretty much every regulation. What, one of the things that I find interesting, in, in Massachusetts, we have some unique um, challenges, and, and one of those is how do you sell legal marijuana on Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard? 
Um, you know, you're dealing with federal uh, waterways and you're dealing with federal airways. Pot is still illegal federally. So what is it that you guys have done that's going to allow the industry to be able to take hold on the islands? Um, we've tried. Um, and the, the basic thing that we've done is realize that to avoid um, um, uh, running afoul of these federal issues with respect to water, uh, water and um, airways um, is that it's pretty much for each of those islands going to have to be kind of a local business. It's going to have to be grown on the island and consumed on the island. The big issue, um, quite or the islands, excuse me, the big issue is lab testing. So, you know, we are um, absolutely committed to ensure safety of the product and that anything sold at retail has to be lab tested before it can be sold at retail. The problem with Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard is that given just the scale of the population on those two islands, they, it really can't support um, a full-scale lab. And so we have... Um, well, it can come summertime. Um, it comes summertime, but it's, you know, the economics are, are tough. And we spoke. We actually spoke with a number of people on the islands um, and, and got their input in this. So we have um, allowed for lab testing to occur locally on the two islands. Um, we've made, you know, I don't think we've reduced the quality standards, but we've certainly made the, uh, the requirements a little less stringent just so that uh, there can be local testing rather than having to grow something on the island, ship it back over to the mainland and then ship it back to the islands, which can happen. So we've tried to make it work so that it's a local operation um, from sea to sail on both of the islands. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it, I think we tried hard. We got a lot of input on that. I think we got it right, but we'll see how it evolves, obviously, and make changes if necessary. But within that, where you're talking about, you know, the, the economics wouldn't support independent labs, um, the economics, I would imagine, wouldn't support independent manufacturing as well. So basically what you're going to have is people smoking there. It, it, I don't know that I agree with that because, uh, you know, I think that, you know, we, we've uh, allowed for a class of micro-businesses across the state, not just in Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket, and those micro-businesses will do manufacturing as well as cultivation. And, you know, I think that manufacturing can occur at a relatively small scale, certainly in a, a kind of a craft basis. So I'm not sure that I, we'll see again, you know, uh, all this is we'll have to see how this industry evolves, but um, I'm not convinced there will not be opportunities for small-scale manufacturing on the two islands. I'm hoping there will be. Commissioner Title, again, as somebody that's been involved in the industry, um, you know, you've, you've, you've dealt with people in Colorado, you've dealt with people in California, um, all around the country. I get this idea that we want to do it right as opposed to want to do it quick. But are we going too slow? Are we taking too much time in doing this? Because many of the other uh, states had it up and running within a year. I mean, Nevada had it up and running in what, less than six months? I love that question. (laughs) (laughs) I am ready to move a little quicker, but that's because I do have all this experience that you mentioned. And I want to be respectful of the people who feel that uh, they don't understand, um, you know, what the ramifications are. They want to uh, just see how it looks on a small scale. I don't think we actually have created the circumstances. The commission has not created the circumstances under which it's going to start as at a small scale. That's kind of how it worked out with the legislative process and the timeline. But I do think that um, it's probably a good thing that people will be able to see this start small and then grow. And again, I mean, this is a huge change that's going to last for a long time. So I'm not in a, in a rush just for the sake of rushing. The other important thing to consider is just that there is absolutely still a cultural stigma in a lot of ways. And so now, whereas people are picturing um, just 
nothing or something from their head or they're picturing alcohol, soon they'll be able to picture concrete stores and what that looks like. And I think that will change the culture and that itself will have big um, ramifications. Yeah, and without sounding defensive, I want to just add one thing, which is that other states have moved more quickly from their voter initiative to the stores being open. Um, without naming names, um, I think they've moved in some respects too quickly and been more focused on timeline than on doing it right. And so some states have launched without seat to sale tracking in place and, 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 and their licensees have done it by hand, by paper. Um, some states have launched without a full licensing and background check system and offered provisional licenses. Um, we, you know, we just agreed from day one that we were going to do all those things and do it right and try to hit our timelines. But, but again, if we're going to err, we're going to err on doing it right. So I'm actually pretty comfortable with the pace that we're moving. I agree with Commissioner Title. You know, we got a point to September 1st. We have done an enormous amount of work between September 1st and now. Um, you know, there's nothing we can do about the legislature taking eight months to, between the voter initiative and the law being passed in July. But in the uh, six months that we've been in business, I think we've accomplished an enormous amount. And I'm very proud of that. And I think we've moved um, at a pretty nice clip. So well, one of the things that, that you can't control is banking. Um, you know, and, and again, federal laws are, uh, are, are what generally rules the uh, banking industry. What's going to happen come whatever date it is that they open up and there's thousands and thousands of dollars in yeah. cash and no place to put it? Yeah, I, I've been pretty public. This is a concern of mine from, you know, particularly a public safety uh, standpoint. Um, you know, other states are, 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 are dealing with the same issue, and, and it is, to a large extent, a cash business. Um, I'm optimistic when, I, when I've talked to the other states that there are, are some states that are making progress on this. Um, Colorado, for example, now has five state chartered banks that are willing to do cash management for this industry. They're not willing to do loans or um, credit cards, but they are willing to do cash management, which to me is the biggest public safety safety issue. Um, I have met with our commissioner of banking. I've met with some of the banking associations around the state. Um, now that our regulations are complete, um, I think we have the opportunity and we're going to take advantage of that opportunity to go out and talk to these industry associations and to specific banks and say, look, we've structured something that we feel is um, a very tightly regulated industry with safeguards, with background checks, um, and see if we can't make the case that this is this is an industry that, that, that they can participate in. You know, just like we were talking earlier about municipalities, uh, we can't tell banks what to do, obviously. Um, but I'm, I'm optimistic we're going we're gonna to find a solution because the other states that are ahead of us are making progress in that. But uh, I think like everything else we're talking about today, it's going to take some time. Uh, Commissioner Title, uh, uh, Chairman Hoffman was quoted not long ago as saying that he thought that a state bank uh, might be an option. Um, do you think something like that would happen or could happen? I would have to treat this every other, like every other issue where I would have to talk to Chairman Hoffman and the rest of the commission and then come to a decision. All right. Well, that's it uh, uh, for this week's edition of the podcast. I want to thank Chairman Stephen Hoffman and Commissioner Shailene Title of the State Cannabis Control Commission for joining us today. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. Thanks. You can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or download it on iTunes or go to our website, www.commonwealthmagazine.org, and click on the fish. I'm Jack Sullivan. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week for another edition of the podcast. Get this party started on a Saturday night Everybody's waiting for me